I know the disorientation of it, disorganization of it. And what I want to say is it's in you. It's totally 100% in you. And your job is to listen and be honest and bring care and like orient towards it as though it were the most sacred journey, sacred aspect of who you are and who you're becoming. I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hey, and welcome back everyone to our last episode for February on the theme of women and purpose. I'm really excited to be introducing today's guest to you all, Krista Vanderveer. And Krista was actually on the show earlier in the podcast, episode five, if you haven't listened to it already and you want to check it out, I highly, highly recommend it. In that episode, Krista was talking more personally about some of her very rich and dark and challenging transformational experiences. But today I invited her back on the show because we're talking so much about women and purpose. And Krista's life, work, and mission is to support as many women as possible to be in contact with their deeper purpose and sense of meaning in life. And you'll hear the language and amazing thoughts that Krista has to share with us in the conversation today. Krista Vanderveer is a visionary partner and private confidant behind many women leaders and influencers who know they are on the planet to lead change. Krista supports women to ride their edge of expansion into their next level of leadership and influence by finding congruency with who they are and what they are called to do at this stage of their career in a way that has them totally lit up, on fire, and turned on by what they're up to in the world. She combines her years of expertise as a high-level executive coach and authentic leadership consultant with cutting-edge transformational technologies including psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, to support the realization of her client's most potent expression. Krista is a powerhouse. She is brilliant. And as you'll hear us talk about in this conversation, I actually had the good fortune to be a participant in one of her incredible group masterminds last year called High Impact Women. And so I myself personally have undergone the profound experience and transformation that Krista has to offer. And that's why I wanted her on the show today to enliven us, to enlighten us, and to illuminate a different conversation and a way of talking about women and purpose. 
And I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation and get so much out of it in just the same way that I did. So I hope you enjoy and I'll look forward to connecting soon. Welcome, Krista. I'm so excited to have you back on the show today. Hi, Emma. It's so great to be with you. As you know, this month on the podcast, we're talking about women and purpose. And I'm so excited to have your voice and your thoughts and your wisdom in the mix because I know your work is focused so much on helping women to access these deeper parts of themselves. So thanks for being here. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for thinking of me in this this purpose month. I wanted to start off, Krista, by just hearing a little bit from you personally about actually a time in your life when you felt less purposeful. And I know it's a funny place to start, but I think it's helpful to hear women's stories or experiences of what it was like to feel less purposeful. Mm-hmm. Great. So when I think about a time when I, my life of less purposeful, it's so interesting, Emma, because I think that there's, when I look back and maybe it's why I do the work that I do today, I can see so many times in so many places uh, when I ha- when it has felt less purposeful or I've been in the question of what is my purpose or what is my life's purpose? And it's there's been a spectrum of like existential crisis questions to everyday professional, like what am I doing? Why am I here kind of questions. One, one time that comes to mind is a time when, you know, I've, I've spent many years as a consultant working inside of companies and going into companies and helping them work better together, relate better together, do executive coaching, the whole nine yards. And from the outside of my career, I was at the, at the heights of that career. You know, I was a high paid consultant. I was doing really good work. I had amazing clients. I had an, I was working for an amazing consultant company and everything from the outside looked amazing. I was on the right trajectory. Um, but I was really confused actually, because um, while at times I really felt like I was, I was moving forward who I'm becoming. I was moving forward my mission in the world in some way. There were other times when I really felt like, okay, like this work is great. It's amazing, but I'm leaving feeling like something is missing. I'm leaving feeling like, like I'm doing somebody else's work. Like I'm leading somebody else's life. And it's kind of, it was, it was kind of this feeling of like, if you can imagine a train track, like the train track going straight, it's almost like I was off the train track just a little bit. And it was like bumpy and it wasn't quite aligned and things were incongruent. And also what I started noticing was that there was a bigger gap between um, who I was showing up inside of the wide spectrum of my life. So at work, I would show up as one person and in my you know closest friends and in private life, I'd show up as another person. And and that gap started to get just a little bit bigger. So then it became this really inner conflictual, confusing experience of like, what, what's going on and what am I actually really up to? And I would actually seek out nourishment from places that were different from work where, you know, my, now, my perspective now is like work is actually where I get really fulfilled and nourished. There's other things too, of course, but I would go home and I would, um, you know, whether it was journaling or it was, or or it was watching TV or it was, you know, doing things that maybe weren't so great for me, maybe having an extra glass of wine, these things that I was attempting to nourish myself in a way because 
there was a there was something deeper missing in the work that I was doing in the world. I, I love you calling this out right away because I think it's such a powerful thing that many of us go through is is feeling that incongruence or that gap that you're describing between who we are in the personal aspects of our lives and then what we're doing at work and how it's like that kind of starts to tear at our identity I've found. Totally. And then it can be really confusing. It can become stressful. It can become, you know, like I'm certain, I certainly can remember times of just feeling empty and depressed and, and I didn't, I didn't feel congruent, like you're saying, and it was challenging and it, yeah, it's not a place that I want to be or that I love to be. And and, um, it's also a place where I feel like there's a huge opportunity, especially, I mean, especially now with the pandemic having happened and so many people's shifts in their workplaces, there's, there's an opportunity for even more congruence to actually take place when there is that gap. So do you believe for women to feel a sense of fulfillment, they need to have more of that congruence across all areas of their lives? Uh, That's a great question. Um, I would say that from my experience and from the experience of working with the women that I work with is that it may not be a need, but I mean, for me, it's a need. I would say for me, it's a need. It's It's a deep need. And I actually didn't even know how possible it was to be so congruent around the different areas of my life. I was hoping for it, but I didn't even know it was possible or how I would get there. Um, but I would say that when there isn't that congruence, you know, I experience a lot of women going to work and it tends to be more of a energy depleter than an energy giver. Yes. And so fulfillment to me means on some level that we're actually being nourished and fulfilled across the board. And there's this equal exchange of, of, um, energetics that has it be, really fulfilling and on mission and on purpose, so to speak. I love this language. And for anybody who's listening, it feels like also a really practical clue around the energy piece, like for people to start paying attention, are they getting energized or are they getting depleted when they're going to work or when they're with their loved ones, but actually like paying attention to the replenishment cycle, what's happening there? Totally. And then, I mean, there's so many other things that could take, that could come from that inquiry is, you know, I just off the bat, where am I not being honest with myself about what's happening for me inside of, we'll just use the workplace, for example, the workplace, such that it's energy depleting. Where am I not standing for myself? Where am I not being truthful about maybe conversations that need to be had with the people that I work with or what we're up to as a company or something to that effect? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing these personal examples, Krista, because it just helps. One of the things I'm so committed to with these conversations in this podcast is talking about when things don't feel or look as good, as well as when they feel really good and aligned and like talking about how we get from one place to the other instead of acting like it always is so beautiful and successful. Um, So I want to take a step back and just ask you, from where you are in your life right now, how would you define purpose? Great question, Emma. It's a really interesting, it's been a very interesting exploration for me my whole life. And what I'll say at this point in my life is that I actually, unless it's about like a conversation, like what's the purpose of this conversation? 
I really don't tend to use the word purpose as it relates to our fulfillment and, and what it was originally meant to relate to. I was looking up the definition of purpose and one of the definitions is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. And I think the challenge with this word purpose, if we're using it in terms of the question, what is my purpose? What's my life's purpose? Is that there can tend to be a little bit of a, and not always, but tend to be a little bit of a subordination of power around who's determining that purpose. Or like, as we get into the, the free will conversation versus fate conversation, which can be a very confusing, you know, conversation and rabbit hole to go down to. You know, also the word purpose to me can inherently seem that there's something that's fixed. So if my life has a purpose, that means it's fixed and it's static versus a conversation. And not that people can't have this conversation around the word purpose, but I just find it useful to you have a different conversation of, of what, what actually does, do I stand for? And this is, you know, it's something that I've done some, a lot of deep work around is, is using the language of what, what do I want my life to stand for? What am I most committed to in this, in this lifetime, in this world, such that I want to generate myself into the person that can realize that thing. So it becomes this more, I kind of take the power back to who do I want to create myself to be? What's important to me? And it's like this emergent creative process that I can dialogue, that I can be in versus like this external potentially search for meaning and purpose, if that makes sense. I love this. I absolutely love this. And it feels like such a nuanced distinction. But as you talk about it, it is it feels like an empowerment, like, like we actually get to choose what we want our lives to stand for, as opposed to oftentimes, you know, what I hear with the women I'm working with, or just the conversation out there is like, what is my purpose? And I can't find it. Like I'm stuck or I'm lost or I'm lacking something as opposed to returning it back to self and choosing. It feels very much about choice. Totally. And the empowerment piece, like you're saying, and the external versus internal conversation. I love how you just articulated that. Wow. Okay. I feel like my brain is getting rattled. <laughs> so, so tell us more about this language of taking a stand. What does that mean to you? And how would one go about figuring out what they want to stand for? Yeah, great. Well, I'll just say that, you know, as a consultant working in the consultancy agency that I was working in is where I actually learned how to take a stand. So I'm so grateful for that experience. And when I'm talking about taking a stand, like there's this way that some people reference to, here's what I stand for, like, or what, or what do you stand for? And there can be kind of this material or surfacey stand that can come up. Like I stand for uh, the health of the environment. And I'm not saying that's not important, but there's like, it's kind of, it's kind of surfacey. Like I don't really, I can't really access the person as I'm speaking to them about what that actually means to them. What I'm talking about when I'm taking a stand gets a little bit deeper of a cut where it's, it's like, um, it's really about, really about getting in touch with a future possibility or a possibility for the future. That's so deeply meaningful to a person that it's like that possibility itself starts to pull the person forward and transforms them into 
the person, you know, potentially that can be the one that realizes that stand in the world. So it's, it's getting in touch with the future possibility. It's making a declaration, even if we don't know if it's possible. Um, taking a stand, one way that, that I've heard it talked about is also like when we, we say, I do in a wedding vow. So we're standing for something inside of our partnership and whether or not we even know that it's a possibility, like we don't actually know how that partnership is going to turn out. If we are relating to that commitment, that stand of I do such that we are, we will live into it. We will have it be this way. And we're committed to that happening. More likely it's going to happen than if we just relate to it as um, hopefully it will happen or if fate allows it will happen. So the stand is really getting into a deeper, deeper conversation about what do I stand for? Why is it meaningful for me? And what do I want my life to be about at the end of my life? Okay, I I feel like I'm just taking all of this in because it feels like it takes some courage and some confidence to stand for anything. Is that, would you agree with that? I would totally agree with it. And I would say that the Emma, the way that I'm learning that the way that I've learned how to take a stand is that it's getting to the edge of my own expansion, which means that in order for me to honor this stand that moves through me, it requires that I be somebody like kind of step into my becoming the person I'm becoming versus the person that I've been. So that requires that I am like fully like taking responsibility for my actions, for my perspectives, for how I make meaning. Um, I'm taking responsibility for really being a shepherd to realize this future possibility or this stand. And, and that requires a lot of courage versus seeking comfort. I think a lot of us, you know, when things get uncomfortable or when things are confronting, we can easily go into comfort or we can easily avoid the conversations or we can easily, you know, have that extra glass of wine or whatever the thing is that keeps us from actually you know, putting our bare skin up against the thing that we actually totally believe in and stand for and dance with it. Beautiful. So beautiful. And I, and I love this kind of invitation into the expansion and to the edge of one's capacity, really. And I'm curious for the women who are listening, I know so much of your work is helping women to get in touch with their stand. And where would you recommend that somebody start you know, if they're interested in this language, if they're curious about what you're describing, where does one begin to say, like, what do I stand for? Yeah, thanks for the question, Emma. I would say that, um, you know, for me, it was, I think, to first appreciate what could be coloring or what might be in the way of us being in touch with what we stand for and the way we're talking about it is, you know, we can look at centuries of, especially with women as a gender, of exploitation, objectification, and domination that we're still on some level, you know, grappling with, whether it's lineage, you know, personal and intergenerational trauma that's telling us on some level that our deepest desires and our wildest dreams are not possible. So it's to appreciate that this isn't actually a really super easy thing for most of us to do. Not some of us, it, it can be really easy. I absolutely echo that. I think it's not easy. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. For all the reasons you just named. 
<laughs> for all those reasons. And then there's the cultural and indoctrinated beliefs that come on and whatever family system and cultural system that we grew up in that has these layers of basically programming. And this isn't a new concept, but programming what's possible or not possible for us. So um, so for the woman who's who's really looking for something which, you know, when we get in touch with our stand, for me, it it clarifies what I'm up to in the world. It helps me make my decisions. It helps inform my actions and my speech. I mean, there's so many reasons to get deeply get in touch with what we stand for. Um, I would start with looking at, you know, one way to enter the conversation is looking at where we don't see possibility. Like when I was back as a, as a consultant working in that place and feeling not congruent and off track, I couldn't, I was, I was inside of the framework that that was the way it was supposed to be. Like I was, I didn't even know that I could be turned on, like literally turned on by my work in the world. Like at, I thought that my work was, um, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to do, even though I thought there was something wrong with me because I couldn't find the deeper meaning. So I would look to first, one way to look is to see where do I not see possibility in my life right now? And mm-hmm. at the time I couldn't see possibility of how to, how to live a career that was deeply meaningful. Another place to look is, you know, going into a really deep inquiry and honesty about what we're not looking at in our lives, why we're doing some of the things, even if they feel not meaningful or incongruent. And why are we doing those things? You know, start to be really kind with ourselves, but really honest with ourselves is why are we doing those things? And then also, you know, I think that there's, there's potentially for some people layers of trauma that are in the way of us actually being able to access and see the deeper, the deeper essence of who we are and what we're up to here that would require some additional support. Yeah. I, I so appreciate you naming all of these pieces, but the trauma layer and then also the why. Like, if I'm not happy with the results that I'm getting, if I'm not happy with how my life is looking or feeling, why do I continue to do the things that I'm doing? Right. And that, I just have to say, I think is from in my own life and then all the women that I work with, it's it's a very confronting and profound question to start asking ourselves. Oh my gosh, totally, totally. I, when I was asking myself why back as a consultant, you know, there was some, there was some big, it felt like big mountains ahead of me that I would need to really learn how to see a different possibility, a different perspective and navigate those mountains in order to you know, find my empowerment and my freedom. Okay. So if we're looking at our lives and we're saying, where do, where do we not see possibility? Then what do we do? Like, how do we go from not seeing possibility to seeing possibility? How does that transition happen? Right. Well, I would say it's so unique for everybody and there's different, you know, everybody's so unique in how they get to that place. I mean, obviously um, there's the you know, the, the getting a coach who you believe that is living what you want to be living and getting that kind of support and that listening in that container. Um, you know, I can't say enough about feedback and women's circles and, and being inside of containers that really provide us the support we need to see something different than these kind of more potentially patriarchal and oppressive systems that most of us have grown up into. 
And also I would say that, you know, a big part of my journey has been around meditation and also exploring what erotic intelligence is for me. And those two things, and I can go more into them, but those two things have specifically pointed me towards this other possibility. It's a different, it's almost like a different energy. It's a different, different energetic, a different vision of what I'm able to see when I'm able to relate with the meditation and the erotic intelligence. I love that. And I'm guessing, I want to hear more about your experience, but I'm guessing those two things help you to transcend sort of the everyday mind or like all those things, the conditioning, everything you've just been talking about, the the ways that we subordinate or the ways that we just go based off of what we think we're supposed to do and that those practices bring you to a whole other dimension. Totally. And that reminds me, Emma, of something, and this is a little bit of a, like a scientific thing is, but it's helpful for me to reference this in my own journey is there's something in our brains called the default mode network. Yes. Which basically is this network that keeps our, our egos, so to speak, in place. And it keeps, like when we have a, a tight network, when the, when the, the electrical circuits are running a lot, basically what that means is that we are, it's hard for us to see something outside of our everyday experience. Yeah. And we are, you know, we might be ruminating about things more. We might be on a hamster wheel about, about things more. And it's it's like our brains literally have a hard time seeing something different, but what meditation does and these, and what you're pointing to is getting out of our everyday experience. Um, Meditation, you know, certain certain kinds of dance, certain types of therapy, certain types of inquiry, uh, psychedelic experiences can open up that network. So then it's like, there's a whole new axis of other things that we didn't even know existed inside of, you know, our normal everyday being that provides that, provides at least one very powerful access to this inquiry of possibility. What is possible? Yes. I just, as you're talking about, I just feel kind of like full body rushes that that those, it's like the non-ordinary is what we need to find possibility when we can't see possibility for ourselves in our normal everyday brain functioning. I'm hoping listeners are getting this because this is so, (laughs) this, this is why it's like, you know, there might be a lot out there about like meditate five minutes a day or do this or do that. But it's actually in, in certain ways, it almost doesn't matter what you do to try to transcend the everyday mind, but it's that you do something so that it breaks up this closed circuit, like where you can't see possibility for yourself or your life. Totally, totally, exactly. And I would also say, Emma, that there's also something because and everybody might not agree with this, but because as a gender, we women have had such a challenge historically, and we're still, we're making a lot of progress in terms of our expression and our turn on in the world and who we are. Um, there's also a lot of baggage around the kind of support that we've gotten in order to actually find what has us feel really alive. Like if we, not long ago, you know, our aliveness was threatening. It still is in some ways, uh, but threatening to, you know, to the world and the and the the communities that we're in, and we were harmed or killed for being an alive, potent woman. And so the other piece around this, in terms of just opening up our our brains and our systems, is also really exploring what what is our relationship with desire. 
And this erotic intelligence, I love how Audre Lorde talks about it. For those who know her is basically the way I understand erotic intelligence is that, you know, even that word can be threatening to some people on, you know, hearing erotic can be threatening or scary to some people or, oh my gosh, we can't talk about that. Um, But erotic intelligence is like a whole like system of generative energy where as a culture, at least here in the Western culture, we've put sexuality, um, we've conflated sexuality with generative energy or, or erotic intelligence. And so, but it's so much bigger than sexuality. It's so much more than sexuality. And for me, when we open up that default mode network or we meditate or however we do that, there is like this access into that generative energy. And I would invite people to inquire, like, what is my, what is my own relationship with desire, with turn on, with aliveness? And am I actually cultivating that in my own system or am I not allowing that and shutting that down? Such a powerful set of questions, Krista. And how have you, like, where are you in your own life with that, with allowing your own desire and generativity? And like, do you feel comfortable in those realms there? Were you always comfortable? Tell us a little bit about that for people who are curious and listening. Yeah, definitely. I I have not always been comfortable in that. And I've done actually quite a bit of work on my own, in my own life around what is my relationship with my own pleasure with my own turn on, with generativity, what that, what that word actually even means to me. And, you know, it's, it's been, I've taken deep dives. I've gotten into deep dive uh, courses to, you know, get informed there, to learn there. And I would say that it's like, it's become, it's, it's actually, it's 2021 is actually the year of what I'm calling leading from desire for myself. This is my personal mantra for the year. And basically it's like, when I find myself stepping into the woman I'm becoming because I'm, I'm, you know, at this time clear about what I stand for. I'm not always clear what I stand for, but I'm clear about what I stand for. I want to step into this woman I'm becoming. The practice for me on a daily day, day-to-day basis is if I'm in touch with my stand, which I usually sit in meditation for the big, why, why am I here? What am I, you know, why is it important to me? Um, and I get in touch with that energy then the practice becomes noticing when I am operating from this more, you know, tighter default mode network from this kind of like automated way of being in the world, whether I'm automating my work, meaning like it's just work and I'm not actually engaging with it on a generative level, or I'm automating my partner and, you know, I'm not seeing with him as fresh eyes because he's, he's changed already since the last time I saw him, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm, and the practice becomes catching myself when I'm not operating from this generative place and choosing different. And so for me, it's, it's a practice every day. <laughs> totally. It's so beautiful. And I can feel it in you as you're talking. I mean, you're really talking about presence. Yes. And I want to clarify something yes. about presence. So the other thing that I've, that I've learned in my years is that, you know, we can sit on a cushion and we can be in contact with something that feels so good and so nourishing, but there's almost like this passive, passive being with it. It's like mm-hmm. we're getting filled up, but there's not, but there's not an active relationship with it. Sometimes, I mean, I'm, I've learned to be, have an active relationship 
in my meditation. So I'm actively listening. And presence, you know, there's also a nuance for me around presence. It's not, it's not only being present. And I think this is what you're pointing to, but it's like an active engagement with presence. Yes. And and that, can you give us an example? Because that feels nuanced, but really exciting. Can you give us an example? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Let's say I'm, I'm sitting there and listening to my partner, Will, my husband, Will. And we have a strong commitment to be generative in our relationship, whatever that means. I mean, basically that means to us to be, to be active and not passive in creating the kind of relationship and connection that we want. And if I'm sitting there and I'm fully present, meaning that I'm not thinking about work, I'm not thinking about the dog, I'm not thinking about the thing, all the things, and I'm sitting there listening to him, just being in open space and feeling myself and feeling him, but I'm not actually actively engaging in the words that he's saying and maybe even listening below the words Mm. to what he's saying, but I'm just kind of being a blank slate. Mm To me, there's, there's value in that because he might find something nourishing or important for him to find, but I'm not actually engaging with him in a way that we might be uncovering new things and finding new, new insight and where there is more energy or where there's not energy. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Totally. It's such a powerful example. And so it's like present, active presence. It's almost like there, it's almost like you're coming up with a new terminology, but it's not, I think sometimes when we think of meditation, it does feel like a very passive activity where it's like, we're just letting the world wash over us. And you're describing a different kind of practice, which is presence and engagement. Totally. I love that active presence. Definitely. Yeah. Beautiful. So can you tell us more specifically about your work supporting women to find their stands? Because this feels Definitely. so relevant here. Totally, totally. And part of it is, you know, this kind of, the thing that we're talking about, passive presence and passive listening, I think it can infiltrate, if we're not clear about what we stand for, it can infiltrate the different areas of our lives and work as well. So when I go in and I work with a woman inside of a company, or if she's an entrepreneur, if she's been doing the thing that she's been doing for a very long time, it's almost like, and she's not feeling lit up and on fire and turned on by her work in the world. It's like, it's like there's been this passive engagement with what she's doing. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, at some point I'm going to come up with better terminology for this, but it's almost like we're just kind of doing the thing day to day. Kind of like they call it phoning it in or just sort of like on autopilot. Exactly. Autopilot. Right. And things get automated and it's on autopilot. And, and I just, you know, it's just, it tears me apart because I think that what this world needs most are more women who are deeply generative, deeply in touch with what they stand for such that they are lit up on fire and turned on by what they're, what they're up to in the world. Because I know that you've experienced a woman who's, who's deeply in touch with what she's here to do and, and how that feels and what that looks like and the kind of transformation that she can make in the world around her. Um, so, so the work that I do is really going in and supporting her to look under these layers of cultural beliefs and indoctrinated beliefs, subordination. You know, I really think that part of our work as women is to really do the hard work of looking at to where we are subordinating on some level. I think it's a life, I think it's a lifelong exploration, honestly, for some, I don't think I'm ever going to be free of that. 
I completely agree. Lifelong. <laughs> yeah. Lifelong. Totally. Mm-hmm. So a big part of that is, is peeling back those layers through curiosity, bring curiosity that I also, because of my own experience around this more embodied erotic intelligence, um, I bring in sensual dance into, you know, working with some of the groups I work with, not everybody. I work with groups and also individuals. Um, but it's a deeper exploration around what is our relationship with our sensuality, our desire. And a big part, I think, of learning how to learning how to find what we stand for and to bring it out into the world is to come up with a, a message that represents that stand. Hmm. And so doing the hard work of you know, choosing deliberately every single word, every single sentence that represents the stand into a leadership message that then we can go out and communicate from this place that once it's so deeply in our bodies is we're like a walking embodiment of our leadership message of what we stand for. And then we can use that to inform, inform our work in the world. We can use that to influence the kinds of areas that we want to influence or impact in the world. And so the work that I do with women is, is whatever it takes for each woman to find what it is that she stands for and then support her in coming up with her message to influence others in that realm. I love it so much. And for those of you who are listening, I was actually a participant in one of Krista's amazing group programs where she led me through this process. And it was absolutely life altering for me to to go through the process of honing and clarifying and revising and articulating my stand. It really has shifted my work and also my life in massive ways. Mm. Yeah, totally. And how do you feel like, what would you say out of curiosity was like the flavor before and the flavor after as a result of really working what you stand for and articulating it? You know, for me, especially now, because as you know, I'm, I'm a mother of a young child. It's like the days can just feel like they have so many parts to them and it's the demand is incessant. Like there's just always someone or something that needs me. And, and I've chosen this and I'm very grateful for it. But by going through the process with you of distilling my stand, I think I went through having a lot more experiences of the day of kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning, like, what is my purpose? Where am I going? What am I doing? Like feeling disoriented mm. and then going through that journey with you and the group um, that you facilitated, it helped me to feel oriented on a day-to-day basis, which for me in this stage of motherhood is the most important part. Like I'm not about like long silent meditation retreats or lofty ideals. I'm like, how do I feel every day when I wake up, when I make the bed, when I help my daughter, when I go to bed, it's, it's very nuts and bolts. And I feel like the stand walks with me through my day. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It really informs how I talk to my daughter, how I do the dishes, how I show up for work, how I show up for friends or family. So it's, I feel like it's touched every aspect of my life. And that's why I'm such a big fan of you and your work. I mean, there are so many reasons I'm a big fan of you, but, (laughs) but yeah, but I really believe in this work because I've seen how much it alters women's lives. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting because I would say that in the cohort you were in, like nobody anticipated where it would go. Yeah. And which is, is part of the whole process. You can't anticipate where it's going to go because it's a, it's an exploration and it's an excavation and it's a healing. Totally. I, I 
echo all of that. It was all of those things for me and for the other women that I witnessed. So Krista, if anybody listening is curious about this work, either one-on-one with you or in a group, where can they go to find more information? Thanks, Emma. Yeah, they can go to, the easiest place is probably just going to my website, which is www.kristavanderveer.com. My last name is V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. And I'll make sure it's in the show notes too, so it's easy for them to find. Okay, so they can find all the information there. Yeah, and what I would suggest is if there's, if you know, if you're finding yourself in a place where you're curious, you're, you know, knowing that there's something deeper, you know that there's something that's missing that's not quite aligned, like just let's get on a call. There's a, there's a book a call, you know, button on there. Let's just get on a call and talk about it. And, um, you know, my stand and my mission is helping women to clarify and refine their stands as many women as I can. And I'm deeply committed to that stand. So that would be a wonderful thing to connect with any of you who are listening to this today. And you're so amazing at it, Krista. I mean, I I really feel like it was, you were designed for this mission and, and for this contribution. I love hearing you talk about the active and engaged presence practice, because I feel like that is the magic. There's some way that your active and engaged presence elicits a woman's best self. And that's how the work happens, which is profound. Mm, Thank you for that reflection, Emma. Okay, clearly, if someone's listening to you, you seem very alive. You seem very excited and turned on and inspired by what you're doing in the world. But what happens when you falter? What happens when you no longer feel that way? How do you get back on track? How do you recommend that when we have our lower moments, we reconnect with our stand? Yeah, that's such a great question, Emma. And I, you know, it probably happens once a day. So it's like, it's like courting, it's like committing to courting my becoming every single day and and committing to my stand. And I would say that some of the ways that I get back on track, and for me, it's really an energetic that I notice when I'm not on track or I'm not feeling turned on by something, or I'm not feeling this active engagement with something. And it really comes back to, for me at this point, just asking why. Like, help me remember, help me remember my stand. Why am I doing the thing that I'm doing? And when I get in touch with that, and Emma, I, you know, I, I sit most days and I do a, a sauna most days and in, the, in sitting in the sauna, it really supports this, this opening happening because there's state changes that are happening in both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I get in touch with it. Um, but even when I, so when I get back in touch with my why, and I just ask that question, the simple question is why? Oh yeah, right. Because this is what I'm up to in the world. Even the things that are a pain in the butt, the things that I don't want to do, the lists, the like, you know, checking the box, like the administrative stuff. It's like, it becomes, it becomes a sacred practice of, yes, I want to do this because this is what's going to move the needle forward. You know, of course I love work. I love working with clients and groups the most, but I have to do these other things too. Mm-hmm. So um, really asking the question, reminding myself of my stand and why, and also having people, women, sisters, friends, communities that know what I stand for. So when I forget, they can remind me. Oh, thank you for naming all of those pieces, but that, that is so critical 
that mirroring. And that's something I talk a lot about in my work is how we have to have supportive others, especially women in our environment who hold us up even when we fall down. Totally, totally. So do you write it down? Do you write your stand down? Is it something you just sort of like revisit in your brain? What can people yeah. do practically? So that, yeah, there's been different phases. One time I'll say that I, you know, and stands can look big or small. At one point in my life, it was a very small stand, but very important stand. And it was when I was doing consulting work in mostly male majority companies. And I was leaving interactions with some of the male clients feeling like I wasn't fully heard. And I started to get really disengaged, disengaged. I was less, you know, engaged. And I was noticing that that was actually really having a big impact on my inspiration. And so um, my stand at that time was, I will, my stand is I will not leave a conversation feeling like I'm disengaged or feeling like I'm not heard. And so to me, I actually wrote that down. I wrote it down in all of my engagements. I had it right in front of me on a sticky note wherever I went so I could remember what my commitment was. Mm. And by having that level of reminding, then I was able to you know, really practice that and really stand for it. It became, it became the thing that I was, my mantra at the time. So I did have it written down, yeah. That is such a powerful example because it highlights a few things that you've brought up throughout the conversation, but how our stand can change over time. It's not this like one static thing that is our lifetime and how there can be different, it sounds like priorities at different times in our lives. Like at that time, that was your most critical learning edge. And so you really honed in on that. And now you're in a different stage of your development. So the stand looks and feels different. Totally. I'm so glad you brought that up because it, 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 to me, it's totally emergent. And even maybe what I stood for and the nuances of it a year ago have probably changed by now even because I'm mm-hmm. actively engaging in it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. That feels like a really important point. And it reminds me too that, you know, another, you asked the question of how do we get in touch with what we stand for? Mm-hmm. One really potent way to get in touch with what we stand for is to look to see what we stand against. Mm-hmm. What do I stand against in the world? What is, what is not okay with me? Yeah. And once we can get in touch with that, like, I think that there's, you know, there's a way that we can turn what we stand against into what we stand for. So we're not coming from a reactive, defended place when we're out influencing, creating change. And I think that's actually really important, but it can, it can inform what is it that we're standing for right now. So in those moments back then, I was like, okay, I, I am not, I'm not into having conversations, you know, with these people or these, this group of people and feeling walking away feeling the way I'm feeling. So I'm going to take responsibility and ownership from that and not in a way that made them wrong, but in a way that actually I was able to show up in a different way that helped change the conversations and actually had a different outcome. Wow. I That feels like such an important nugget there and a clue. And um, it just reminded me of some... So it's like by standing against not being not heard or not seen in your situation then you became really motivated to stand for being heard. Totally, exactly. And I was fully committed to learning the skills mm-hmm. and the lessons that I needed to learn to do it in a way that actually created change rather than just more defensiveness and, you know, rupture and making people wrong. That's beautiful and hard work. And 
it, like I feel the empowerment, just the extreme amount of self-responsibility that you've taken for yourself in this journey. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Emma. It's been yeah. hard work and so rewarding. So yeah. rewarding because it is, it does have me know my potency. It has me feel my power. It has me be on track, feel on track with my life and my becoming yeah. by doing these things. Yeah. Wow. I feel inspired to share something with you, Krista, um, just around this piece, because I'm thinking back to my early life and when I would really struggle with, I would use the term purpose, but now you've given us so much amazing other language that maybe I won't even use that word anymore. (laughs) Um, But, you know, just from a very young age, I've always been kind of in that soul question of like, what am I here for? What is my purpose? What is mine to do? Like very intensely. Um, And what would grip me from like when I was an adolescent even is whenever I heard stories of terrible things happening to women. Mm. So it, if it was stories learning in history class or something would happen in the news, or I would sometimes even have dreams of being um, held captive myself as a woman or just Anytime I encountered anything about the oppression and the violation of women, I I would feel it viscerally. I would feel it somatically. Mm. It would make my blood boil. And I, that is what I learned to stand against, which has deeply informed what I now in my later, like more mature adult life stand for, which is women's freedom, women's liberation. And so I'm just putting that piece together in a new way based on what you were sharing. And I wanted to share that with you. I'm so glad you shared that with me, Emma. And that makes so much sense knowing you and knowing how you operate and why why what's moving through you is so important and passionate and deep. And you're reminding me that often the experiences that we have in our lifetime obviously inform what it is that we stand for. And this is a beautiful example of that. And And I could just imagine seeing you as a little girl just getting so rattled every time you heard something that was oppressive to a woman or or damaging or harmful. Yeah. And that's, and for those listening, it's like, there's another clue if we're feeling lost or we don't know what we stand for. It's like, well, what has happened to us in our lives and, and what does get our attention to make us want to, you know, put our stake in the ground and say, no, not that. Instead, I stand for the opposite. Totally. Totally. That's a beautiful principle. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story, Emma. Yeah. Okay. So I know we've, we've touched on this, but I feel like I want to come back to it before we wrap up, which is the, so what question, why does it matter that women get in touch with their stand? Mm. It's such a great question, Emma. Um, for me, from my personal experience, but also working with the women, to me, it, it feels important for a couple of reasons. One is it's not just, I don't feel like it's just our birthright to have to live a really joyful, amazing life. And um, our stands are going to look very different. Like probably, you know, if I was 80, my stand might be, hey, I'm just going to be like coasting loving up my partner, petting my dog, you know, and that's what I stand for in my life. And they're different phases. But if we're really clear about what we stand for, um, you know, it provides us so much more power 
and influence and potency to actually have the thing that we want to have. It, it, it starts to inform what we do and why we do it. It starts to give us like, we don't like for me, sometimes I can get stuck in like, you know, like if I'm posting something on social media and I start to get nervous or scared around, oh no, what are people going to think of me? Or is this okay? Or who am I to dot, dot, dot. But if I'm in touch with my stand, I'm becoming more committed to my stand than I am to this younger parts, these younger parts of me who are afraid. So I believe that it's also our birthright as, as women to not just our birthright, but our responsibility, excuse me, our responsibility as women to do the hard work, to excavate what we stand for, for the future of humanity. I mean, the kind of level of intelligence, wisdom, knowing juice that flows through us as women, when we're in touch with something like we're calling the stand transforms the world. I see it again over and over and over again. I have chills, Krista, and I couldn't be more in agreement with you. It's like this is what the future of the planet and humanity needs is is women who are this clear, this upright, this connected. Yes. And that's that's where the intelligence to solve the biggest problems of our time lies. Like that's where it all is. That's where the gold is. Totally. Totally. And Emma, you're such a beautiful representation of that. And for those of you who haven't seen Emma's stand talk, it is like every single time I watch your talk, Emma, it gives me chills, full body chills. And you are so powerful, so potent in your message and what you're standing for. It's like that level of potency, I believe is what this world needs. And I think there's a very, and I think you might agree with me, but you can let me know a very specific female feminine aspect, access to that kind of potency specific to what the world needs. Mm, yes. Thank you. And I couldn't, I really couldn't have created that without your coaching and your facilitation. So I'm profoundly grateful because as I said, it's totally altered my life. And it's it's just I love your work, Krista. I love what you're committed mm. to. I love what you stand for. And I'm incredibly grateful to you for coming on the show and and during this month and providing us with new frameworks and new language. Cause I feel my own brain just kind of reorganizing and, and it does like the language just feels way more inspiring because it gives us a lot more choice and freedom back. Totally. Emma. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's been such a privilege to get to work with you on your stand and impact the world as a result of that. Well, I'm deeply gifted. <laughs> So, Krista, I want you to just imagine for a moment the women out there who don't know what their purpose is or are struggling or reorganizing, reorienting around it and longing to know what they stand for. And can you just send some encouragement, some words of wisdom their way? Definitely. I've been there. First of all, I so know what it feels like. I know the pain of it. I know the disorientation of it, disorganization of it. And what I want to say is it's in you. It's totally 100% in you. And your job is to listen and be honest and bring care and like orient towards it as though it were the most sacred 
journey, sacred aspect of who you are and who you're becoming. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.